Welcome to It Is What It Is, the podcast with me, Danielle Bridge. On our show, we catch up with guests to talk about all sorts of things, including our job, mental health, relationships, and basically everything that we humans experience as we navigate through life. On today's episode, I talk to the musical powerhouse that is Carrie Rawlings. We discuss how emotional music can be and the release that we can all gain from singing and expressing ourselves. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. So I know you via a colleague of mine um, who speaks extremely highly of you uh, in your current guys or your old guys. We'll get to that in a little bit more in more detail later. But you were looking after some people in the rock choir. Is that correct? That is true. Um, for about 10 years, I was running rock choir in Cambridge, St. Nits and Huntingdon. Wow. 10 years. That's a long time. It is a really long time. Um, yeah, I started it, you know, with with kind of no one and built the business up over the last 10 years to see about 500 singers a week across Cambridgeshire. So I was running initially seven choirs. Um, and by the end, I was running about four as life got a bit more busy. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So we'll get to that in a little bit more detail later. But first of all, can you tell me how you came to do this job you know so I've, I've heard of rock choir through the media and through videos that I've seen online you know really powerful ballads being sung by hundreds of people in kind of like very public arenas um beautiful singing but how did you carry get into singing full stop actually so we wind back to when you was a kid you know was you singing uh, then I think so yeah I mean I was trying to think this morning before we chatted, when was the first time I can remember performing, as it were. Um, of course, you're singing as children and music was really prevalent in our house, particularly like Motown was something that my mum loved. And so records were always on, music was always happening. But then I think primary school and having a great music teacher from so young as like five is when I started playing the recorder, singing, playing the xylophone, playing the cello mm. and then hammering out on the piano at my nan's house. So it was kind of quite... It sounds a bit visceral. I was just touching stuff and doing stuff before I realised what it was. Mm. Um, and then later on, I realised I was all right at it. And so when people start saying, oh, can you do this? Could you do that? Should we try doing this? And you, you're sort of getting mates because you're doing it. So you have a little gang of friends that you can hang out with. Um, and so it just, I, from the beginning of time, I was making sound um, wow. mainly with my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and so, cause I'm kind of, while you're talking, I'm thinking about my own daughter who has, uh, piano lessons and who has had kind of like front and center, uh, pieces of music to do at school. And she's the one that goes up and does the singing and the solos at school, which is completely encouraged by me. Um, but when you were a child at, at the school age, did you think that you would end up going into music as a career or as a kind of lifestyle choice? Do you know what I think I did? And mm. I think that's really rare um, because I didn't want to do anything else. And I kind of had aptitude in other fields, but I kept going back to this thing I wanted to do. And everyone kept telling me I should do geography or don't forget to do this, don't forget to do a language. And I kept doing all of that as well. And then thinking, no, but I still know that this is where my heart is. Um, but I've always been quite headstrong, even from a little lady. Yeah. So there was no telling me really that this wasn't going to be for me. Um, and so I just kept doing the other stuff to kind of placate everyone else which has also stood me in good stead to be able to do other jobs. But um, 
yeah, I've, I think I've always known. And again, loads of people say to me, I'm, I'm really jealous of that because they don't have that. And I just had it. I just knew. And I didn't know what it would be, but I knew it would always be in that industry. I knew I'd always be creative. I knew I'd always be making music um, somehow. So, yeah, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to do it. That's just amazing. And I think, again, going back to this whole kind of, we've had loads of people on the show talking about the education system and the way in which the arts are kind of left field. You know, they're over there. It's nice if you get into it or, you know, if your other career doesn't work out, then you might be able to fall back on this. Um, but not being taken seriously necessarily by the mainstream as an option. And I know that there are pockets of society where actually they are pushed, people are pushed, you know, going down the whole Sylvia Young <laughs> route and, yeah, yeah. you know, right, that's it. My child's going to be doing this, that and the other. But it doesn't tend to be kind of replicated in mainstream school. And I remember when I was at school, I wasn't very academic at all. Academia wasn't my 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 forte. But again, like my child, I sang. Um, I, I couldn't write music. I couldn't play any piano or any other instrument, but I had a voice. And I used to sing and get all of the, you know, <laughs> the solos and stuff, even at secondary school. And I always wanted to be this singer. And my story, will I'll tell it another time, but it never quite panned out for me. But with my child, I've told her and my son, if you want to pursue this as something you want to do, then you have mine and your dad's full backing. You know, you go and you pursue something that makes you happy rather than going down this kind of route of, well, that's what's expected of you. And therefore, this is what it is that I want you to do. Yeah, I mean, there was there's still a lot of that now in adult life. I mean, I'm 41 and I still feel that sometimes people don't think I have a real job. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like, I do. Um, and you sort of find yourself in conversations at dinner parties where you're sort of playing down the thing that you do do mm. in, in, uh, and, and bigging up the time that you were, you know, on a Zoom call or you were, oh, had to do normal things. Um, and that is a societal thing and it's weird because the arts bring so much to us as a culture and as a nation and as a world um, and so much money. And there's so many other facets to it. This is the thing I never understood. I'm not just a musician. I'm a businesswoman. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I'm many things to be able to be a musician. So mm. what makes you an excellent musician is not just being able to sing. Um, unfortunately, it's not enough. Yeah. It's all the other stuff that goes along with it. So if you were to say that you ran your own a training company or anything, people would go, wow. If you said, I run Carrie Rawlings, the business, people don't understand it in the same yeah, way. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of what it is. And that's what I've had to learn that I am the brand and I have to cultivate what services I provide. Um, and they just happen to be music and creativity and inspiring others and education and all of those things come into it. And if only, like you say, schools could see that, I'm basically creating a business that's all it is um and i wish someone along the way had maybe said you're going to create the brand of you how should we go about this and help me through that journey because i'm having to learn all that later the marketing the sales of this or that that i'm just lucky that the other jobs i've had along the way and having fantastic parents that run their own businesses and you know have done things that i've watched and i've been part of have helped me sort of forge a career in music but I'm not you know filling the O2 arena but that wasn't necessarily my dream my dream was just to be doing it every day waking up and doing the thing I want to do and that is really hard to achieve for anyone oh tell me about it and it's so I mean I I'm lucky enough to be able to run my own business and I love what I do and therefore it's no hardship for me to get out of bed every morning and go to work 
And people say to me, yeah, oh, like you said earlier, oh my God, Danielle, you run a business and you know you do training and you do all of this sort of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I get that and I, I appreciate that and I really enjoy it. But I'm lucky enough to do the training part, which is why I started my business in the first place. Yeah. And that's the bit. Yeah, exactly. The personable bit. All the other stuff, like you talked about the marketing and the, you know, even down to social media and all those bits that you kind of have to do in order to run a successful business. They're the bits that I struggle with. You know, they're yeah. the bits that I find difficult. And I'm sure it's exactly the same as you when you're out there on stage doing the do. That yeah. bit's in your, that's your gift. That's the bit that you find easy, right? Definitely. And it's like it, the promotion and all of that stuff, you have to kind of, it does, does go hand in hand. And when you get to the big time and you're in a production of something, then there are other people doing all that for you. But you've got to keep plugging that hole all the time. So, I, you know, anyone young going into it, yes, learn your craft, rehearse more than anyone else, work harder than anyone else, and then learn how to sell that. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> so when you, so we, we, we talked about you kind of going to school, lots of support from family and then, Go back to kind of when you left school. What was your journey then? Was you going down academia or did you, again, pursue the arts? I would say it was still academic. I went to um, a different school for senior school, which I got in on a music scholarship. So that really helped because I went to, I travelled to Bedford to school and went somewhere where the music department was really strong and did all my GCSEs and A-levels, but fought to get the arts mm. into my GCSEs and A-levels, including AS dance, which wasn't even on the curriculum at my wow. school. And I, me and two other girls lobbied the teacher to get it put on the curriculum. And we were the first three students to do an AS level in dance at, in our lunch break. And we all achieved A's. Oh. So I was already fighting fires like Yeah, earlier. too much. Yeah. Pushing for your agenda. Absolutely. And if it's not there, you yeah. make it. Yeah, and it wasn't, the school was renowned for its music. But again, it was this thing that was secondary to getting into Oxford or getting into Cambridge. Um and I even had that for my parents, you know, I think they thought they'd put me in this school to get me into Oxford or Cambridge. And I was like, mm, but they don't do drama. Yeah. <laughs> they, do, they do it on the side, but they don't do it as the thing. So, yeah. Anyway, then I went off to university. I did go to university after a year out and I read performing arts um, in Winchester for three years. And then I still wasn't happy. So I went on to do a postgraduate um, at a London drama school. And that was really where it all clicked because that was um, four terms of getting up every day from eight till... 8pm at night and doing classes like dance classes, tap classes, ballet classes, voice classes, Shakespeare classes, um, Pilates classes, everything to get you trained like an athlete for, and it was in musical theatre. So it was to to aim to get um, into that industry. And from that, they showcase you to the industry. So you have to do a final performance to agents, casting directors, and you're kind of the cream of the crop, really. There's only like 20 of us in the class who work solidly for a year. And from that, I got an agent. And then the work starts again, because then you have to start auditioning and putting your name forward for things and not getting phone calls back and hoping that you've got it, but never knowing why you didn't. Um, and that was probably the next 10 years of pain oh, wow. <laughs> and some success and some not, you know, every year I'd get something and then I wouldn't get something. So then the other jobs have to kick in waitressing, uh, working in shops, teaching then became something that I found that I was really good at. And it was more lucrative than working, uh, delivering pizzas. So I'd do that on a Friday night, but then teach on a Saturday morning for the same money as I'd earn all week in the pub. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was then that balance. As you get an, to become, become an adult, you have to pay rent and you have to live in London. So mm-hmm. you're looking for the most lucrative job that's going to be the least amount of hours so that you can still go to your dance lessons or your singing lessons or auditions because they want you to be free all the time. 
but you need a job. So um, it's a constant reinvention, I would say, but keeping what you want at the heart of it all. Um, and that's what's been really key. And then through those jobs, I've been in office jobs. I've been in pizza delivery shops. I've waited tables. Um, I used to work for the, on the phone lines for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, phoning, like listening to the people that phoned in to try and get on the show and interviewing them. I used to work a job in Camden on Sky Sports, speaking to basically drunken football fans who'd phone up with their opinion of the game at the end of the night. <laughs> and I'd have to, you know, calm them all down and get them on air and only take the sober ones. So... <laughs> Really applying myself to different things all the time, talking to people of all different walks of life. Um, and that's when the teaching became more prevalent. And I thought, I enjoy this. I'm good at this. I'm still teaching music. And that's making me happy because I'm learning music. Um, and then being able to impart it with humour and like, I don't know, I really tried to hone a style of my own as I've taught over the last 10 to 15 years. And I started with children and that was fun, really fun. But it's a young man's game. Mm, <laughs> so mm, mm. I was in like primary schools in London, going in and out every day, working in Old Street and all around the city of London. And it was brilliant. And it was an eye opener. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm in awe of what those teachers do. And I was the peripatetic who would come in and do the fun stuff and they would love it. But yeah, it was, it was unruly and it was hard work. <laughs> unruly, I love that. So... I tell my children, because my kids had a, an, an, a, an agency, they were part of an agency a couple of years ago, um, of acting and dancing and all sorts of things. And my son won a big campaign for H&M as a model. And he loved it. Wow. It was great. I know. And my daughter went for all the kind of acting gigs and stuff. And she went to auditions and she did all of that. And as a mum who was taking her child to an audition, like you said, drop it at the drop of a hat, um, straight after school or missing the last um, session and then going up to London for an interview or a casting that lasts literally five minutes to jump back on the train and come home again. It's, it was a long slog for me for, to do that for a year. Um, especially when my son then turned around and said, oh, mum, I don't want to do any acting because I, I can't be bothered <laughs> to do any lines, you know, and he's getting castings from really big opportunities and saying, nah, I don't want to. Can I not just stand there and look good? And I'm like, oh my gosh. And his daughter <laughs> and his sister who's going, man, I would just kill to do something like that. You know, this kind of juggling of this dream that they might have now, which takes an awful lot of time and effort. And it's lovely that, to hear you speak about it because when we finish this, I'm going to let them hear it just to hear actually what that journey looks like. Because I think sometimes people might think that if you want to go into the arts, you just do it. You know, you go and get a job like you would any other job. And then that's it. You become this this person or whoever it is that they might see um, or on TV or whatever. So it's lovely to hear the reality of it, but ultimately still getting to where you, you wanted to get to. So how did Rock Choir come about? Um, so I was doing this general slog of different jobs all over the place all the time, going to London, coming out, da da da. And my mum was on the phone to me saying, I just watched BBC Breakfast at Christmas. It was like Christmas Eve. And there was this choir singing on it. And this lady, Caroline Redmond Lush, was being interviewed on it. And I think you'd really like it. Should we go to it? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, sure, whatever. You know what you, you like when your mum's telling you to do something. <laughs> uh, yeah, just do it. <laughs> or I'm like, mm, no, it must be a bad idea. But she's normally right. So I said, okay, we'll go to it. Yeah, sure. So we looked it up to go and sing together, actually, mother and daughter. Because she, she would argue that she doesn't really do music, but she was. She did have that niggle when she was younger. She got asked to be a backing singer for a group and her mum said she couldn't go and she was going to go off touring the world and it didn't happen from a girl, a girl from Walsall. You know, she's mm. Guyanese, my mum, so she'd come over to... Anyway, another story, another yes. day. <laughs> she has this 
in, in itch and I might have been part of, you know, that itch that she helped get rid of. But anyway, so she said, BBC Breakfast, let's go to Rock Choir. So we looked it up and the closest one to where we were living at the time, she was living in St. Neitz, was sort of Hertfordshire where I was living. So I said, OK, let's go to it. But she couldn't make it in the end, I think. And so I went along on my own and I walked into the room and I thought, oh, wow. This is like a really electric atmosphere. It was this wonderful teacher that I know really well now, Pippa. And there was like 200 people in the room. And it just so happened that that night ITV were in the room filming a TV show that they were doing about rock choir. And everyone was like buzzy, buzzy, buzzy. And I sat there and I thought, I don't want to be in the choir. I want to be leading it. Wow. Just like that. She was on stage. She was holding court. She was making the music and she was doing it. And all the parts were kind of juggling and this cacophony of harmony was happening. And I'd been in groups like that and I'd never led one. I'd never been a choir leader because in my world, choirs were boring. You had to learn really hard music. You usually had to sing quite high. I did a lot of it at school and I sort of thought, oh, you know, and that's the impression I had in my mind. And this was like something I'd never seen before. And I thought all of my skills, like the performance, um, the comedy, getting up in front of people, drawing stuff out of them, making them feel comfortable. And I looked around the room and everyone was an amateur singer, so they didn't think they could do it. They, they'd come there to sort of be part of a community and find some friends. And the music was secondary, but it was also really good. And I thought, mm. so I looked up where it wasn't, and it wasn't in my hometown. It wasn't in St. Nitz, it wasn't in Cambridge, and it wasn't in Huntingdon. So I applied. Um, Lied on the application, I have to admit, because I don't have grade eight piano. I don't have any piano exams. It's too late now, anyone listening. She did 10 years. Out there, yeah, they took me. <laughs> and um, I thought, well, I'll just see. I'll just see how it goes. This is my general mantra for life. Just jump in and see yeah. what happens. Went to the interview in Surrey. Had to sing and play a song to them. They, you know, interviewed me in depth. Um, and then I got it. Wow. So I was like, oh, I'm starting a business. Okay, cool. And um, yeah, opened in 2009 or something like that. And in the first week, I had 250 people in my choirs. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, it helped that it had been on national television and everyone was like, there was just this rock choir effect going around the country all through that summer. People were seeing it on ITV. Um, and so they wanted a piece of it. But then, of course, once they're there, you have to convince them to stay and convince them that they're going to have a good time and that it's not going to be too daunting or too technical or... And the whole mantra, which I loved of Rock Choir, was that you teach from one piece of paper and everyone has the same piece of paper. That is it. Wow. So the rest of it comes from, from us. We, we sort of, we colour it in, is what mm. I'd always say. Um, and people found that so accessible. And that's what I loved about it. I made it as fun as it could possibly be, but got excellent results out of the groups and to the point where we've performed all over Cambridgeshire and London and, you know, done really big gigs. We've been to Abbey Road and recorded. The songs are amazing. And we did that together as a, as a group. You're listening to It Is What It Is, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode as we strive to bring you interesting conversations about the things that really matter. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. But for now, let's get back to that conversation. And do you remember your first song that you played? Yeah, of course. It was Oh Happy Day. Ah, what a tune. It was I've just got like tingles. I've literally yeah. just got tingles. The minute you've mentioned that, I've just, wow. And Brilliant. there is a scene in one of my favourite films, and probably you probably know what this is, The Sister, Sister Act. Oh, yeah. And when they sing that song and just the emotion, the actual physical tingles that I get from that vocal is just next to, uh, there's nothing like it. 
I'll have to send you my track now of my choir yes, singing. Please. Fact, we, went, we went to Abbey Road like eight years down the line and I thought it was such an iconic place to go. We had to do songs that meant so much to us. So we did Oh Happy Day because it's the first song we ever learnt. And a friend of mine came and soloed on over the top of it and she's extraordinary. And yeah, it was magical to have started with that song and then yeah. for them to go and do it all those years later in such a beautiful place. So yeah, it means a lot to me, that song. And the Shoop Shoop song was another one we were doing, which had a really crazy dance routine. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to get these people to dance like this? How are they going to do this? How are they going to swing their hips in this direction? You know, was, and the men were looking at me like, who is this girl? I've used to go into choirs, but not like this. And yeah, those look, I think I love turning a room around, whatever kind of room it is. I like turning those frowns into smiles um, in any situation. And that's what what spurs me on to see those confused kind of, uh, yeah. by the end, it's like, <laughs> they that's completely let go. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that brings us me round to kind of the next bit. So I run this podcast. I started it because I was having conversations about life and about deep life. And I don't kind of do surface stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those women that go kind of, just talks about oh the weather's all right no no we we kind of deep dive the minute that we've met um and I've always found music and people that know me personally know that music is massive in my life huge um my husband's a producer I vocal I'm in a band I've got all sorts of things and I've loved music from the day that I was born I think and I remember thinking about the emotional impact of listening to music and then later on in my life singing and the emotions that were released when I did that um and I've spoken to to Ingrid, who's our, our mutual friend, who has talked about the, the emotions and the feelings that you would get when you sing a certain song and how it might make you feel. And the power of music in the healing process or in, in joy or in every single emotion that we have in life, that there is almost a, a musical narrative that goes with that. And I know that the question is kind of relevant because obviously I know what the answer is, but how do you think the power of music can help us as humans connect? I think it's vital. I think that you, most people don't even know how music is affecting them either. So you don't realise that you're hearing it in supermarkets, in pubs, um, you know, in your car radio. And it's like subliminal messages coming at you, I think, all the time. And sometimes, I don't know if you've had this, but you'll hear a song and it's sort of exactly what you feel at that moment. Yeah. You're driving along. You might not have heard the song before and you have to stop and be like, what was that? What did that lyric just say? And it's like someone else has written that word at the time that I was thinking it. Oh my goodness, how does that happen? Um, and then if you can go back and find those songs in those moments, then you can instantly be transported there. And that's what makes it so powerful because I'll be looking at a room of 50 people who are all thinking something different about the same lyric. And I, my job is to draw out a common meaning for an audience, but I want them to have that journey along the way. And that's so beautiful, like, oh, it's giving me goosebumps. But when yeah. you're, sorry. No, this is it, right? This is, and don't, because I'm going to cry now. We're two crying women um, talking about music. And that's, I suppose, the power of music. And that's exactly what I was thinking about, right? It's that emotional attachment that you have. And you hit the nail on the head. When you hear a song and it might take you way back to a specific time, and place and your emotions during that time i know that you know we've we've lost um the 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 the, the, the great singer amy winehouse recently over 10 years and 
her and her powerful voice and the words and the lyrics and you know they did a they did a thing in the paper the other day about rating her music and I think number one song was um oh gosh I'm gonna get it wrong now I don't want to get it wrong it's not back to black is it um love is a losing game oh yeah it's beautiful that and song. just every time I hear it and you know I, I've I've listened to the lyrics before and they don't necessarily permeate with anything I've been through in my life but the way in which she sings it the rawness of her voice yeah it's just phenomenal Definitely. I, I'm, I, I was thinking back, watched that documentary the other night about her and I saw her live at Cambridge Junction wow. many years ago. Um, so when I hear her songs of her first album, I just picture that sweaty room and um, she was supporting Jamie Cullum. And I think I was so lucky to be there. Yeah. And to see that. Um, yeah. I, just as I was thinking about music and how it has like, peppered things that I've been through, it's it's healing because it's the music you listen to to remember somebody by. It can be a song that actually happened or the moment you found out something awful or good, you were listening to that song or you were singing that song. And often I've been performing at times when tragedies happened or something, you know, and somebody said, oh, I'm not going to, we're not going to tell her until she's finished or whatever. So I've been doing something amazing, like giving out and then come off to find out that this has happened. And it's like, but that sort of makes you take the song and empowers you through what's happened. Um, and again, like any job, you pick yourself up and music can be cathartic because in my, in my job, I have to go out and deliver whatever I'm feeling like. Mm. So when tragedy has struck or something has upset me and I teach that to others, I say, don't cry now. You've cried learning this song. Let's all have it out in rehearsal and have the tears. But once we go out there, it's our job to impose that message on somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's what stops you from getting upset when you're singing those songs, because you have to hold it together, but deliver that emotion outwardly. And that's, again, a really hard skill to have as a performer. And those are the performers that we watch and go, wow, because if they can tell you what they're thinking without crying and just send you the message, then they've done their job as Mm. far as I can see. And and I've always wanted music to do that. I've always wanted to do it myself and I've always been loved watching people. Have you heard heard of Gregory Porter? Oh, we've seen him three times. Yeah, my husband and I, yeah, massive. I can close my eyes and be absolutely wherever he is when he's singing. Like he can take you to that street um, you know, he's got a, an album about his alley out yeah, the back of the you're, you're in this alley with him. You can see all the characters. And he's not a musical theatre lovey. He's just singing it from his heart. But he is one of those great storytellers, like Nat King Cole was. Like, and you just listen to those sounds and you think, this is powerful. It's beyond what other things can do to you, I think. Yeah, I agree. We saw John Legend as well in the beginning of our relationship with my, my, mine and my husband's. And again, like I said, we, music is a massive part of our life. So we have seen those greats and listened to the music and taking us back to our beginning before we were parents, you know, in our, when we were, we were dating. What? What? I know, right? <laughs> I can't even remember anymore. But you know, when we, it was just him and I, and we were on this beginning of this relationship together. And he'd send me a snippet of this song or he'd leave me with a CD and I'd listen to it. And again, if I listen to them now, it takes me right back to those moments and you can't help but have a big smile on your face. And so for me, the music, the power of music is phenomenal. And throughout lockdown, last year, 2020, it became even more powerful for me um, because it was the only thing I had. Does that make sense? To kind of in my, yeah. in my house. Um, and I had to kind of use my experiences of music in a different way. And I don't know if you've heard of a song called Jerusalem. Um, no. It went viral. Have a look at it when you've, when we've finished today, but it's a beautiful African song. And it came about when people were kind of doing TikTok dances 
Okay. And I'm not a TikToker. I know that there are people out there and I love it. And I don't get me wrong, I, I completely consume quite a lot of my time looking at other people enjoying it. <laughs> but I never, I'm never. i a bit of a voyeur and I don't do it myself. But this song kind of came became viral and it became this piece of music that people listened to and were transported to a to a place of collectiveness across the world. It wasn't just, you know, in the UK or in Africa. It was across the world. And you'd hear this song and you'd see these people doing these dances from different parts of the world. And you couldn't help but have this collective of hope and of, right, we're all in this together. And it was beautiful, just by one piece of music done over a TikTok video. You know, and I'm like, and I remember before I go on to Zoom and I do courses now, well, now that we're opening up a bit more, it's a little bit easier. But before I'd ever go and do a Zoom call or a Zoom meeting, should I say, or, or a course, I'd play that song in my office. You know, I was in the office on my own and I'd put that song on the office speaker and play it really loud and I'd get into this zone and I'd dance and I remember I've had delegates on my courses you know listening to music dancing in the room with me because of the power of music and even so much so that whenever I'm delivering training I do mental health first day training but whenever I've done some you know I'll say to them right guys we're finished now let's play a track and we'll listen to some music collectively or I'll ask (laughs) I'll ask sometimes has anybody got any requests you know we have this plethora of music that people listen to which opens my eyes to something new and gives them something new so I guess that there is a song or there is a music narrative for every aspect of life and how powerful that can be and how not jealous jealous is the wrong word but how in awe I am of you being able to do that as part of your everyday life you know oh, yeah it's, it's you feel really lucky you sort of take it for granted and it's only when you're outside of it and you realize the impact you've had that you go oh wow okay I was just doing the thing that I do but thanks you know that's great and yeah. you feel you f- and, and it's been important to me and through lockdown having I was only running my choirs on zoom and it was pretty soul destroying gotta say not hearing any actual music live just having to have everyone muted and just teaching your kitchen wall but like you say i would have that track at the start of the night playing before i went live i'd switch my camera on i'd turn it on i was at my piano i was boogieing around and at the end of that hour people would go dancing off into the night and i thought i've done my job here and that was driven by the music because they couldn't hear each other (laughs) So, you know, they just had this soundtrack on every week and they would be singing along at home. But also that's quite daunting for people to sing along alone in their house when they've been in a room of 100 people. Mm. So you, you're trying to nurture people's confidence in a different way through the internet. And some people outright refuse. I'm not doing this. I'm not singing where my family can hear me or, you know, I'm not good enough for that. And you're mm. sort of thinking, oh, I know when I have you in the room with me, I'll look after you, but I can't reach you in your living room. So it definitely helped that I was doing music during that period rather than like some of my family having to sit on Zoom calls from nine till six, just listening to people talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was doing the fun stuff and even I found that hard, really hard because mm-hmm. it was, like I said, soul destroying to not get the bit that you really love, which is the juggling of the sound in the room and the volume going up and down and everyone's laughter and, you know, the feedback, you get instant feedback from hearing people sing to you. You can tweak it and play with it. And I was just sort of delivering the same presentation to a different Zoom screen every night. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to get back in a room and hear 
Well, I've started to hear people in a room again and Yay. it's like, oh yeah. Don't <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Do you know what? It's that you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head there, right? That whole taking it for granted. I remember uh, my favourite choir, no disrespect rock choir, you know, it's not, it, it's, it, it, it's great. But uh, I listened to a, um, a choir called the House Gospel Choir. I don't know if you've ever heard of the House Gospel Choir. So yeah. every, I'm a, I'm a house head. I love like R&B and, and, um, house music and I'm quite eclectic but that's kind of my go-to and yeah. so they decided again it was of a woman who set up her choir because she loves house music she loves popular music but never heard it kind of being harmonized etc so she set up a choir called the house gospel choir they go to a lot of festivals which might me and my family go to and so they did Sam Smith's Latch which was done um, and I think um, Annie Mack uh, introduced them on BBC Sounds phenomenal music done in the choir which I'd never heard of before you oh know. I haven't I need to find them yeah go find them they're amazing and I remember they during lockdown because obviously they couldn't do what you just mentioned so they had an open choir via Instagram so they did Instagram sessions every Monday which I signed up for for six weeks and I was upstairs in my house singing along to all of this music in in my bedroom in one of the rooms in the house to all of these songs that I'd love. And they had like a, a, a choir master, etc. And it's just phenomenal hearing people collectively sing. Yeah. And seeing the joy on their faces, honestly, and seeing the reaction to it. You just, the wall of sound that comes from a choir is pretty extraordinary and people aren't expecting it. And people used to come to our shows and be like, oh, I thought you were just going to stand there with your folder. And then, you know, <laughs> with we'd be and partying. And they were like, this is not what we expected. And friends and family, even the family of the people in the choirs can't believe that that's their mum or their sister or their brother or their uncle. They can't believe they're doing that. They're like, what? It's almost like people think as well that music's only for the young people. Mm-hmm. And once you get to sort of 30, that's it. Then you've got to just sit down and put your record player oh. on. You know, it drives me nuts. And I'd be at a gig thinking, well, what do you mean you didn't think she could do it? What do you mean you didn't think he was having fun at choir? Why do you think he's coming every week and paying for it? <laughs> like, it bemuses me that, again, this sort of, it's it's a bit too out there. It's a bit too crazy if you're, mm. if you're using music to release. Um, whereas good things that are happening with things like exercise more people are talking about how good that is and slowly people are talking about how good music is for your mental health slowly but oh my gosh we've been saying this for 10 years yeah exactly um, it's everybody's you know. kind of now catching up right so yeah. there's something we teach what well, i teach or the mental health teachers space teachers if you like or educators which is the five ways to well-being and the five ways to well-being one of them is being creative or learning something new and the others obviously like being active etc and I always ask the same question that you've just asked there, Carrie. When do, when do we stop our lust for life? When do we stop doing those things that we were encouraged to do when we were younger? You know, like drawing and painting and singing or playing an instrument or something that gives you unadulterated joy in your life. <laughs> when is it that you have to just put that stuff away and become serious, you know? And I that, think it's to do with earning money. When people feel they have to earn money, then they have to do something sensible. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. And yeah, the jobs, I suppose, take over. Actually, that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because now we tell people to get away from that mindset of, of heavy stress or pressure is to go and do something. 
like singing yeah, or dancing. Like the big companies that I've worked for, like with music, I'll go in to do uh, workshops for the likes of John Lewis or something. And it's because their day-to-day job is nothing to do with what I'm doing. And so the, the employers are saying, come and try this, come and do this. And you hear of other companies like Google having playrooms in yes. their office buildings where they can go and play ping pong. And in fact, I went to Amazon in Coventry. They opened a new, like... Um, what's it called, factory, and we were doing a flash mob in their canteen wow. to do something for a charity day when I was at Rock Choir. And then they had like all these pool tables around and all these sort of, this like play area for adults so that they could come out of the grind and stand there. And I thought, I wonder how many people get that in their lives, like to be able to go and be silly for half an hour with their mates at work and not feel guilty about it. Some people I know don't even eat all day. You know what I mean? They're working so hard, they just don't leave their desk. And I think we're going to blink and it's all going to be over. Yeah. So you need to, you know, keep your eyes open and stop working like this. And that was partly why I changed jobs, not because of the job I had, because it was amazing. But it was this machine of go, 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 go. I had to get off it mm. um, and, and just rebalance. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And you've got to look at what's important for that, for that family setup and for your own mental health for the rest of your life, not just for... Yeah five minutes because time goes in the blink of an eye absolutely so I always tell people you know whenever I've finished training you know in terms of those stressful times in your life try and find something that makes your soul sing and do more of it literally whenever you get an opportunity and share that with your loved ones because like you said you know tomorrow is not a given and at the end of the day if we blink and that's it then the regrets that we have for not pursuing those things that make our our, our heart sing is just negligible. <laughs> it really yeah, is. Exactly. So yeah, you know. So I agree a hundred percent there with you. So as we wrap up uh, our session today, Carrie, it's been an absolute pleasure. What's next on the agenda for you going forward? So Rock Choir, you've done, you finished. What's next? Um, well, I started to make lists when I left, and the lists just keep changing. And a, a good list to make is the things you want to do, like a bucket list, but a professional bucket list and a personal one. So I mm. kind of have two running. The personal one is like all the things we want to do as a family and maybe, you know, go to this place or see that it could even be something so small as see an elephant. <laughs> so small. <laughs> one day. Excuse the pun. But then on the, on the work list, it's kind of like the things I know I love doing and the things I know I'm good at. Um, and then order them in terms of time and how much time you think it's going to, going to be to achieve that. Because I think that's the other thing. I want to do loads of things, but some of them will take longer than others. And some of them might take more work and less return. So you've kind of got to keep balancing. I do need to pay my bills. I can't just go off and have a, a, a fun time all the time. So, yeah, I'm going to make some music and I'm going to start looking at some musical theatre workshops for the autumn. So I'm going to do singing with people in a room, Yay. which I can't wait to do. Um, I'm just about to perform next Saturday at this massive gig at Ragley Hall called the, the, the Battle Proms, where I'm going to be a 1940s Battle Prom Bell, something wow. I've never done before. So I've not performed in that sort of genre. So just trying to dip my toe in new waters. I've just come off a play where I was only a cast of two um, for a two-week run in something called Elsie and Norm's Macbeth, which was the most terrifying thing I've ever done because there was 40 pages of dialogue and there was only two of us in it. And I hadn't been on stage in that capacity for about five years since having my children. I, I think I was having anxiety attacks most oh, days <laughs> about doing it. But I've done it now. Well done. That's it. That's amazing. So I think my message, if anyone were going to ask me, is just keep going and if that way like this way didn't work 
try another way. There's always a way. Mm, um, you can just find a different route. And like I said, everything that I've done before, it's not, I just see it as a chapter closing. It's not because I didn't like it or didn't want to, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to inform what I do next. Um, and I'm going to keep evolving and I want to have a balance of work and life and be around for another 40 years. That's the plan. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And before we go, where can people find out about you, what you do? Uh, what's your, what's your handles out there? Um, so on, like everything twitter facebook i'm just at carrie rawlings musician but they can just find me at carryrawlings.com as well so i'm on twitter instagram facebook i'm not on tiktok i do have an account but don't go and look at it there's not really much going on there yet but now awesome. i might go and do a jerusalem video yeah do it it'd be, it'd be brilliant there's a spe- special dance and everything <laughs> Thank you, Danny. It was lovely to meet you. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking about something so emotive and so close to my heart. And the fact that you're professional means that I've now gone up in the world. So I'm talking to professionals (laughs) in the music industry. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. You've been listening to the It Is What It Is podcast, presented by Danielle Bridge and produced by Defresh Productions. 